do ask you to come and fill us as individuals as we yield ourselves to you. And we pray as we worship you, you will make us better representatives of you because of your influence that is not simply external but internal by the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, I'll ask you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And it's the fifth book in your Bible, if you have a whole Bible. And if you have a handheld device, it's easy to find. Deuteronomy. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture, which will serve as the basis for the morning message And it's the ninth verse of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Soul keeping. That's the subject of the message today. And it comes right out of this passage of Scripture. That begs the question, what does it mean to be a soul keeper? We need to begin with the idea, and it's more than an idea, it's a very deeply rich and necessary doctrine of Scripture of the soul. The soul is the core of who you are. The soul is the most inner part of your being. The soul is that which experiences sadness and sorrow and all the ranges of emotions. But most importantly, the soul is the mechanism, the instrument, if you will, which God has given us to relate to Him. We relate to the Lord through our souls. What does keeping something involve? The meaning of soul keeping. What is involved? The first thing that I would suggest is It involves protecting that which we are keeping. Jesus says that our souls are the most important part of our lives. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus puts a premium on the soul, and he is the expert on all things, spiritual and human So we need to understand that this is so important. It requires our protecting it. And this message is designed to help you to know how you can protect your soul. But also included in the idea of soul keeping is not only the protection of the soul, but also the development of the soul. That which we keep, that which we have been given oversight of, that which we have been entrusted with, we are to develop it. This is the new year. Did you know it, by the way? This is New Year's. Some of you have gotten some good resolutions for the new year, and more than one person has made something in the way of a resolution about your physical being. Maybe you've even joined a gym. Do you know how many gyms there are that you could join in the United States of America today? Roughly 36,000. That's a lot, isn't it? It's a big industry. 
In the year 2016, 49.6% of all American adults were members of some sort of workout site, and they would spend an average of one half hour per day, three days a week. I would say that's a good start toward physical fitness. Would you agree with me on that? Certainly it is. But as we read from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Word of God tells us that physical workout is of some value. However, spiritual discipline or spiritual workout is worth much more. Not only does it have application to this life, I'm talking about spiritual workout, spiritual discipline, but also for the life to come. Now let me pause a moment, back off, and take note of the fact that not all physical fitness effort is in the category of something that's sinful or worldly. After all, the Bible tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit if we know Jesus, and our bodies are not our own, for we've been bought with a price, therefore we are to glorify God with our bodies. That would suggest strongly that you and I are to be people, if we know Jesus, that we do a certain amount of temple maintenance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah? To keep these bodies in a good shape so that the Lord would have the best conveyance possible in us as He moves around our sphere in our bodies so He can influence people. So don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not negative on working out physically. But I am very positive, not because it's important to me, because of what God says. And the benefits are for this life as well as the life to come. Let's think about the benefits of spiritual discipline, of spiritual workout. The Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. And the idea of godliness, godliness is the ultimate product of spiritual discipline. We become more like Christ. That's the goal. And so it makes sense that godliness would lead to contentment, and that's great gain. We get contentment in this life if we are men and women who are committed to developing ourselves in the realm of spiritual fitness. And we need to do that for sure. But what about the next life? Well, sure, heaven. Can't beat it, can you? To know that you're going to be with the Lord in heaven forever. In addition to the fact that we get benefits in this life, like contentment. And let me mention a couple more. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13, this is what the Bible says. It says, it's a benediction, actually. May the God of hope himself fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound, that means overflow like a river that gets out of its banks in the rainy season, that you may overflow with hope, which would spill out by implication on all around us. So joy, peace, hope, contentment, there's not a person present today who would not want that in his or her life. In fact, there's probably more than one person. We had a man who visited our 9 o'clock service. 
He is a man, I would guess, in his 50s at least. He's on a walker. He came up to me after the worship service. He said, I have not been in church for 35 years, he told me. He said, is what you have told me today true? And you'll see what the rest of the truth is, hopefully. But I said, yes, it is. Bobby is his name. He said, I grew up in a Baptist church in South Carolina. And I wanted to come today to start the new year right. Well, pray for Bobby. He really was sincere. I could tell that. And we need to have that same sincerity. He's looking for contentment. He's looking for joy and peace and hope. And we all need it. We're one step away from contentment when we deviate from the pattern that the Lord has given to us for following Him and growing in Him. So, we need to think a moment about the equipment for spiritual fitness. It really boils down to one piece of equipment. I'm going to simplify it because that's what the Bible does for us. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed. That would be the Old Testament when Paul wrote that to Timothy. He was speaking exclusively of what we call the Old Testament. The New Testament had not been produced yet. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. The woman of God might be fully equipped for every good work. What is the equipment the Lord's given to us? It's His Word. Do you have a Bible? I hope you do. If you don't have a Bible that you can hold in your hands like this Bible, and you have a phone, you can get some apps that are real inexpensive and good, and you can have the Bible on your phone, and you can read the Word of God. I prefer, because I'm my age, I prefer this. And there's something to be said even for the generation that's the youngest generation that's able to read for having a Bible that you can open up and read too. Slows you down a little bit, helps you to mark it a little better, keep up with it. We need to remember that if we're to develop spiritually and be spiritually fit, that there are disciplines that we need to exercise. But throughout the history of the church, when you go back to the first church, the story is reported in the book of Acts And the first group of people who came to know Christ, immediately, what the Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. But notice what heads the list. The apostles' teaching. What would that be the equivalent of today? Where do we find the apostles' teaching today? It's in what we call the New Testament. They devoted themselves from the get-go to the Word of God, knowing that that was that which God had given to them to help them to grow. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies crave the pure milk of the Word of God, for by it you grow. We become fit physically. If spiritually, rather, if we are 
men and women of the Word of God. Hearing the Word, like hopefully you're doing now. Reading the Word privately. Studying the Word, going one step further. Memorizing the Word of God, going even one step further. And then memorizing and meditating on God's Word. Because the Bible says that the man or woman is blessed who meditates on God's Word day and night and seeks to be true to that Word in terms of applying it. As in physical training, a plan needs to be in place. Spiritual training also needs a plan to be followed if we hope to be spiritually fit. And what is the long-term, long-range goal of spiritual fitness training? It's to be like Christ. Now, who is our trainer spiritually? Well, it would be Jesus. He is our discipler. We put our eyes on Christ. We follow Him. The Holy Spirit helps too. We've got two members of the Godhead who are working together when we come to the Word of God and God uses that to encourage us. I'm going to give you some suggestions now as to what a good workout spiritually needs to include. Remembering what is our equipment? It's God's Word. That's important to understand. You need a private place. And it's hard to find privacy in some homes. I know that. Maybe you're a college student and you have roommate or roommates. And it's hard to get a place of privacy. One of the ways that I have learned over the years to get a place of privacy is to get up before anybody else gets up and try to be quiet about it. Some people make so much racket they wake everybody else up. Those people are not morning people (laughs) because they're just kind of stumbling and fumbling all over the house. But some of you are night owls and you stay up later than anybody in the house. Is there anybody here like that? You're the last one to bed. And you kind of come alive about 11 o'clock at night. By that time I've been asleep for two hours. But you come alive. You're a night owl. Well, that's a good time. You're alone. Take advantage of the solitude. And then you need a Bible that you can understand. I've got a copy of a Bible here. And we've been giving these Bibles away the last two weeks. And I was told after the last service, they're all gone. Sorry. I don't mean to be ugly in this. But what I will say is, and I'll have someone at the table And you can write your name down. If you want us to get a Bible for you, we'll get it. And you can pick it up. Probably it'll take two weeks to get it. But I hold in my hand, this is a very inexpensive copy of Scripture, but it's invaluable because it's easy to read and it's accurate to the original languages of both Testaments of our Bible. It's the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you are looking for an easy-to-read version, I would say this would be one to get because it not only has a style that's very relevant to our way of speaking, but also it's very accurate. Don't make it any more difficult on yourself than need be when it comes to this matter of becoming spiritually fit. 
You would be wise to get a pen or a pencil with you when you're reading the Bible, to mark things that you know God is saying to you, and to underline them, put a star beside them, highlight them if you're using a highlighter. Do something to help you remember when you finish interacting with the Lord. You can come back and then you can review what you think you heard Him say to you. And He doesn't say anything without His wanting you to know what to know about Him or what to do in response to what He reveals to you in your reading. And then you want to record some of these sayings in a book like this. This is our map journal. The elders initiated this probably three or four years ago. I can't remember how many years it's been. And MAP is an acronym. It's based on the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10. And this is what the Bible says about Ezra. Ezra devoted himself to the study of the law, which would have been the Old Testament. He devoted himself to the study of Scripture. The second letter, A, is application. Here's the one I like to skip. You know, I want to study the Word, and then I want to proclaim the Word. But this is incredibly important. In fact, the proclamation is truncated and is really, to a great degree, nullified if we don't apply it. Because what does the Scripture say about Ezra? What did he do? What did he do? He studied the law, devoted himself to it, and he did it, and then he taught what was in the law to the nation of God. And so that is what this boils down to. I'm not going to go in all the detail I could go in with you today, but I want to whet your appetite a bit. You can pick one of these up in this form as long as they last. And if you'd rather have something that will last longer, we have binders with the same information that you can put in a three-ring binder. And if you run out of those, then you can come back to the church office and you can pick up another set. And you don't have to pay for those. These, the second go-round, you'll have to pay for these if you want to do it. They're not expensive. Everything's free today. The church is providing this for you. We think this is so important as elders. We think it's important for us. Look, if I'm up here and telling you to do these things and I'm not doing them, I'm a hypocrite, right? I'm too hypocritical as it is, but I certainly don't want to be hypocritical about this. We're not telling you something that we're not committed to do ourselves. So any athlete who is worth her salt or his salt knows that you need to warm up before exercising. Is that correct, athletes? We have a few athletes here. Isn't it important to warm up? And so we do the same thing spiritually. How do you warm up to the Lord? Let me give you some ideas. This is in your map journal, these references. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen. This is our primary role in coming before the Lord. We come to listen. Remembering what Jesus says about listening. He says it's the one thing when we sit at the feet of Jesus, as it were, and we listen to Him, the outcome is it cannot be taken away from us. There are many endeavors that are going to be taken away from us. The one which you can be sure of will last forever. In fact, the only one 
is listening to Christ speak to you through the Word of God. So guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. And what might that foolish approach be? Well, the next verse in Ecclesiastes tells us, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. That's the beginning point, warming up to the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night, my mind is 100% on task. I'm thinking about people. I'm thinking about things. I'm thinking about paying bills. I'm thinking about all these things that are part of our lives. I'm thinking about them. I need to remove that clutter and all those things which are clamoring for my attention. And this is a good way to start. Before we open the Bible to hear from the Lord, we need to have the right approach to Him. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Carrying the metaphor of going to the place of worship. We know we're not going to the temple. There is no temple today. We're not even going to a church building like this every day of the week. But we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible said. We've seen that already. And so we can go into the inner sanctum, if you will. The Holy of Holies is actually what we are called by the Holy Spirit Himself through Paul. We're the Holy of Holies. Not just the Holy Area, but the Holy of Holies. And we go there and we can enter His gates with thanksgiving. I'll tell you what will dispel discontentment and sadness quicker than anything. Rejoicing in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Thirdly, Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. When I pray that prayer to the Lord, it's an acknowledgement on my part that if He doesn't teach me, I might as well close the book. I need enlightenment. I need it daily. Now let me pause just a moment. My mentor, who had the most profound effect on my spiritual development, died two years ago. Probably ten years ago, I was visiting with him in his home. And I said, Herb, do you have trouble really concentrating in your quiet time? He said, Yes, I do. I said, thank God. I felt like I was a lone ranger. You know, I've been having quiet times for 30 or 40 years trying to do that daily, reading the Bible all the way through every year. And it was harder and harder for me to concentrate. And I don't think it had to do with encroaching ears. It probably has something to do with that. But what I, I know is when you read the Bible so much, so much, so much, so much, you can kind of zone out. So what I want to encourage you in is learn how not to zone out. Learn rather how to tune in. And the way we tune in is by doing these kind of warm-up exercises 
to kind of get our hearts right before God so we can hear from Him. Do you want to hear from the Lord? The only way we grow is when we hear from the Lord. And so these are some steps. Let me add a couple more to it. There are many more I could mention. But Psalm 139, 23, and 24 say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Notice the emphasis. It's not about everybody else. It's about me, Lord. You, Lord, show me, Lord. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's an invitation to the Lord to put the spotlight on my sin. And enlighten me so I can confess it and repent of it as I enter into His presence. And then Psalm 8611 David is the writer of this, as he was of the last saying from Psalm 139. He says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We need to be taught. Actually, we need to be trained. We need to be taught. So we go to the Lord and we ask Him, Lord, do this. And you know what the Lord says? In the book of Psalm 32, another psalm which David wrote, Psalm 32, 8, we hear him say this, I will instruct you and I will teach you. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. So we pray with David. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. I just need to know what it is. And then what does God say? I will instruct you. He's waiting for us to say that to him. I will instruct you. I will teach you, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That could be scary if it were not for the fact that we're wanting to be taught, we're wanting to be led, we're wanting to be trained. Great athletes don't do it in isolation. Do you know that? Behind every great athlete, there is a trainer or a coach, someone who pushes that athlete to a place the athlete didn't think she or he could ever reach. If you study great athletes, you know that. So we are to warm up. And after having done that, we're to open the Scripture and ask God to speak to us. Probably a dozen or more years ago, I was in a discipleship group with three men whom I was seeking to help grow in Christ, to disciple them. And I was sharing what I've shared with you this morning with them. And I took probably a little more time than I'm doing now to do that. And I said, well, how long do you think it would take you to do that in your own time alone with the Lord? And 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and whatever. And I said, well, let's figure it out. Let's put the clock to it. And what I'm going to do, guys, I'm just going to say the verse, pause, like I would, to think about it in my own personal time with the Lord. And then I'll say the next verse, same thing, until I've said all five or six verses, something like that, and thought about them. Not just say them, but think about them, meditate on them. And we did that. Do you know how long it took? A minute and 40 seconds. That's not much. You think you could spare a minute and a half to two minutes to warm up to the Lord so that you could have an effective time alone with Him? This is an answer to why some of you don't have good quiet times. Because you bolt into it and then you bolt out. And this map journal, the, one of the beauties of it 
is it gives you a plan to follow. There are four tracks, two Old Testament tracks, two New Testament tracks. Many of you have never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. This particular guide will help you to read the four Gospels in this year. If you've never read them and you say, I just don't have time or concentration or whatever, look, just read the Gospels. There's one track just for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll be listening to Jesus. He'll be speaking to you and He will guide you. You'll see His example and you'll want to follow Him in His example. Let's say you have more desire to read and you've never read the whole New Testament. Well, we have two tracks. You put them together. One plus one equals all the New Testament. Then you say, hey, I've read the New Testament, but I've never read the Old Testament. There are two tracks here. And you can see how it all falls out. But whatever track you take, and it doesn't have to be the one that's in this map journal, please. This is just a way. But you need a plan, and this plan is better than no plan. In fact, in my experience of spending time with the Lord regularly, this is the best one I've ever found because of many reasons. I'm not going to take the time to go into it. You'd be the one who could discern that in your own life. Then we read the Word. We listen for the voice of God asking the Holy Spirit to give us an ear to hear and apply to our lives. And then athletes, there are some of you in the house. Athletes, is it true that a wise approach after you've warmed up and you've gotten vigorous in your exercise regimen, you need to cool down too? Am I right? Well, there's something that the book of Ecclesiastes has to say about that as it relates to our spiritual training. And it's simply this. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse 3, the Bible says, Do not be in a hurry to leave the presence of the king. Who are we meeting? When we open the word of God, who are we meeting? We're meeting God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. We're meeting and don't be in a hurry. My suggestion is that you carve out half an hour a day. And you swallow real hard when I say that, I know. 30 minutes reading the Bible, come on. Look, 30 minutes a day. If you'll follow this idea and let the Lord shape it to you and your needs. If you'll follow this, 30 minutes, that's the length of a sitcom that you might watch on TV or whatever you're doing on your phone, something that you can get lost in doing something, and before you know it, you've spent an hour, and it seems like ten minutes. Why? Because you like it. You're enjoying it. Well, in His presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. This is Psalm 16. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You are cheating yourself out of full joy when you don't spend time alone listening to the Lord. So find some time. And I don't want to be legalistic about this. I'm just saying, if you want your life to be a life that counts for eternity and not just for time, spend time with the one who is the resurrection and the life and get that transference of life in greater dosages than you may have had it before. You have him in your life. If you know Jesus, he lives in you. He's not just sort of in you. He's in you. 
But He wants more and more of you. And this is how we build our relationship with Him. This training is to be done throughout your whole life. For those of us who are older, we've read the Bible a lot, some of us, and we think, hey, what more is there to learn? Well, it's not primarily about learning. Follow me carefully here. The Bible does say in Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in earlier times, that would be the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. We learn so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, you might have hope. That's big. But here's what we need to understand. Intimacy with God is the key which unlocks the door to understanding. Because Jesus himself says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I call you friends. And therefore, I'm confiding in you is what Jesus says. This is what it means to abide in Christ. It's to depend on the Lord and live in that relationship with him. So you can hear and you say, well, Mike, it's okay for you. You you just read the Bible for a living. You get paid well for reading the Bible. And that would be true, by the way. I I don't want to mislead anybody. But on the other hand, you can do what I do, go through the motions, and never do what I'm suggesting you do today. You understand what I'm saying? It's about intimacy with the Lord. And I do this on my time, not here at church, on the church's time. I don't want to be any different than you are in terms of restrictions you think you have on your life. It's just a matter of disciplining ourselves. But as we grow older, the Bible says, though the outer man is wasting away, and anybody here got a witness? Most of you are younger than I am. Praise the Lord for that. But the outer man, my outer man is wasting away. We met with the elders we do every Sunday for prayer and one of them said to me, how are you doing, Mike? I said, I am sore. I am very sore. And I began to catalog all the regions of my body which are sore. And they just kind of ignored me as I was doing that <laughs> for good reason. But the point is, look, the outer man does waste away. But here's the good news. The inner man, your soul, your spirit, It's being renewed day by day. How are we renewed day by day? This is why we come before the Lord daily. We need renewal. We need renewal of our minds. Paul talks about this in Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Where does that shown to us? Is it sort of out there in the ether somewhere? The will of God is spelled out for us in the Bible, isn't it? And we come before the Lord. We have fellowship with the Lord. Wouldn't you love to spend half an hour this afternoon with Jesus? Well, you can do it this afternoon. You can do it tonight. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it the next day. You've got, if you know Christ, you have that privilege. And it's a responsibility as well. So let's move on. The meaning of soul keeping we've looked at. Now let's take a quick look at the manner of soul keeping. It's in this verse. 
in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at it again, verse 9. Only give heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently. Stop there. The word diligently is a word which means vehemently. You may say, well, what does that mean? It means passionately. What does that mean? It means exceedingly. That's what it means to go to keep your soul with passion. Why? It's something that's beyond worth. Remember what Jesus says. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus had in mind the scales of antiquity. And the image he was painting with words was that on one side you put all the world's goods and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, appetites, ambitions, all those kinds of things. And on the other side, you put your soul. And every time, no matter who the soul is, it's going to tip in favor of the soul. Your soul is worth more than anything else. That's why we're to keep it diligently, passionately, vehemently. That's why it should be the thing that really drives our lives as we think about it. Let's look at the mission of soul keeping. It's also found in this passage. Let's read the whole verse again to get the flow of thought. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. That's little a under one, the mission. So I don't forget the things my eyes have seen and they do not depart from my heart all the days of my life. Now, here's something that surprised me actually when I was doing deeper research beyond the English text. The word things is actually the word debar, which means word in the plural, words. Words. What is Moses saying? Remember his audience, his initial audience were the people who had been in bondage, their ancestors had at least, for 400 plus years. They had been liberated. What had they seen along the way? There were 600, 550 men, 20 years of age or older, able to war, who came out. And all of them, with the exception of Two plus Moses had already died. So there had been a lot of funerals. They'd seen a lot of funerals in that 40 years. A lot of burials. Do the math. Do 40 into 603,000 and see what it comes up to. That's a ton of burials. They had witnessed that, but they'd witnessed so much more. They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. And deliverance came from the Lord. They were dead meat. But the Lord did what He said He would do. He delivered them. Then, when they grew hungry, think about feeding a million plus people. You'd run out of food in a hurry, wouldn't you? But what did God give them? Manna. The word manna itself means, what is it? Because that's what they said when they saw it on the ground. What is it? They'd never seen anything like it before. But they ate it with sweet and without fail. Six days a week it came. On the sixth day they would gather enough for two days because on the Sabbath they would not be getting any manna. And so God had provided. They were thirsty. They were dying of thirst. And God made a spring, a gushing spring, more like a 
river, really, of water come out of a rock. They've seen these things and so many more. So what does this say to us? Have you seen God work in your life? Maybe not as dramatically as they had seen, but have you seen God work in your life? There's a woman who has recently come to Christ. She's in her mid-60s. She took a very deliberate pathway to giving her life to Christ. I wish you could have heard her prayer when she prayed to receive Christ. I didn't lead her in some sort of rote prayer. I just said, well, just tell the Lord. And it, was, it took her a while. It was amazing. That was a week ago Friday. She came back and we met on New Year's Day and then we met again yesterday. And she said, I'm changed, she said. I, am, I don't recognize myself, is what she said. Well, for good reason. She's a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you know the greatest miracle today is when someone who is born again by the living and abiding Word of God? Because you're dead spiritually. There are people in this room who are dead spiritually. What I've been talking about makes no sense to you. And it could be partially due to my inability to communicate truth plainly. But... Most of you understand this message, don't you? Soul-keeping. What does it mean? What's the manner of it? You're supposed to be vigorous in your keeping. And then, what's the purpose? What's the mission? So we don't forget it. And there's a reason we don't want to forget it. It's for our own benefit, but the Lord never teaches you or me something for our own benefit alone. So let's look at the last part of verse 9. But make them that would be the things which your eyes have seen and you have stored up in your heart. Make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Most of you who are adults have children. Some of us have grandchildren. There are even some in the room who have great-grandchildren. What greater legacy could we leave to our children than by our example? That's how we communicate. Very important. It's the best teacher. But then we fall short if we don't say it and write it out for them. Leave a legacy for your children. Write out things that they didn't even remember that happened to them that showed the hand of God at work in their lives. Sometimes your children need jogging because they have gotten immersed in the world and they have been inundated with all the garbage that they receive through media, social media, and all that kind of stuff. And they need their brains washed. They need to be reminded of who God is and how He's been active in their lives and then in your life. They may not know Him, but you can give evidence of things that the Lord has done. And this is something every one of us has the capacity to do, to pass it down to our sons and our daughters, to our granddaughters, to our grandsons, when we're long gone, long gone, God will use that in their lives. I challenge you to do that in this year. Well, as we finish up today, there is part of a proverb I would like to speak about in closing. It's found in Proverbs 23:12. It's this simple command. Apply yourself to discipline. There are two people I'm going to quote. 
both of whom I hold in the highest regard, both of whose writings have really impacted my life and helped me to be a soul keeper. One's name is Elton Trueblood. Dr. Trueblood held a Ph.D. from an Ivy League school in philosophy. He was a Quaker, a committed Christian. He was a man who saw himself on mission for the Lord, and he loved to teach people about God. And in one of his books, and if you get hold of any of his books, they're short. He had a theory. He said, Christian writers should never write over a hundred-page book because people quit reading about page 100 if they're not just vigorous readers. But this is what he said. It's relevant to this message today. He said, Discipline is the price of freedom. Do you know why so many people are in chains? We sang that song, Chains. Do you know why the chains are there? A lack of discipline. Where does such discipline come from? It comes from the Lord. That's where it comes from. We have not received a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. The Holy Spirit is disciplined. If you know Him, He lives in you. What we need to do is yield to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm done with me. I am done with me. So, discipline is the price of freedom. It's a price to be paid. Discipline, self-denial. But what a blessed price. Because of the outcome, freedom. Jesus says, if you abide in my words and you are truly disciples of mine, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free. The truth is the word of God. The truth is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is described by Jesus himself as the spirit of truth. He indwells you and me if we know him. That's good, isn't it? Discipline is the price of freedom. And here's one by Elizabeth Elliot. Not as well educated. She was well educated. But not as well as Dr. Trueblood who had a Ph.D. in philosophy. But she was every bit as wise as he at least, maybe more. This is what she said. And they didn't get together and coordinate these sayings. I don't know if they ever met each other. But this is what she said. Freedom is the reward of discipline. Right? Discipline is the price of freedom. What is freedom? It's the reward of discipline. It's a great reward. You spend time alone with the Lord this year, nurturing your soul on the Word of God, you will be richer, incredibly richer, at the end of the year. And you will have established a habit that you will never want to go back and undo. Our soul's development depends on applying ourselves to discipline. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you would help us to be men and women this year who take seriously the call that you gave to the children of Israel through Moses thousands of years ago. It's just as relevant to us today as it was to them. Help us to give heed to ourselves and to keep our souls diligently, Lord. 
and to have a mission to pass it on to our sons and our daughters, our daughter and granddaughters and grandsons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.